Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Data Unchained. I'm your host, Molly Presley. So what is this podcast all about? The paradigm for data access has changed in the post-cloud era as workforces become more distributed. In today's decentralized world, getting data to the places of the point of decision and to the humans who need it has become increasingly more challenging. This podcast digs into the challenges as well as the solutions in making data an asset as a globally available resource. Uh, We've been focusing a lot of these shows on vertical-specific or industry-specific challenges. I'm excited to welcome today Rami Rausch, the CTO of Applied Genomics, to today's show. Rami, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Molly. Thank you very much. I believe it's a bit late for you out in Israel, so thank you for taking your evening time to um, jump on the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself maybe to get started, and then we'll talk about the company as well. Sure. Thank you. Um, so uh, about myself, a little bit of a background. Uh, over the past 15 years, I've uh, gained extensive experience in the biomedical field, especially in directing projects uh, related to bioinformatics and computational genomics. I studied biology in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, after which I took a break uh, from biology and I uh, worked as a programmer in high tech uh, in the industry for three years. After gaining real-world experience with coding and database programming, I reconnected with biology, but this time on the computational level. And this is when my bioinformatics career began. Uh, And it began at the Stanford University in Palo Alto, where I developed uh, software for basic research at the genetics department of uh, Stanford. And since then, I've been exercising uh, various roles in the computational uh, biology uh, industry, and fast forwarding today, I'm uh, the CTO of Applied Genomics. Um, I can tell a little bit about the uh, company if you want, Molly. Yeah, I think that'd be great. There's, I think, rarely been more interesting times than what's going on in this space right now. And talking about the company and your specific focus would be great. Absolutely, yes. So Applied Genomics is uh, a leading bioinformatics solution company in Israel. Uh, it is located in the heart of Rehovot's uh, Science Park. It's very close to the Weizmann Institute of Science. Applied Genomics has already established a track record uh, of successful collaborations with more than 15 biotech, pharma, and healthcare institutions in Israel. For example, Applied Genomics, we developed MyScreen, which is a diagnostic genetic panel that is used to detect carriers of rare genetic diseases. And this panel actually is the best in its class for the Israeli population. And it is used today by the major healthcare providers in Israel. So uh, Applied Genomics currently, obviously, we're planning to expand our product portfolio, product and services in the health tech using uh, bioinformatics. But we are obviously also pursuing opportunities to leverage science and the health tech in the, using the uh, artificial intelligence. So this is more or less the background. Excellent. Um, I'm curious, when you talk about um, being in place in a lot of the area, in a lot of the um, healthcare across Israel, why focused in Israel and not other countries? Are there, is it just kind of a go-to-market reason or is there compliance or data sharing reasons? Maybe you can go into a little bit more detail on that. Sure. Uh, the The reason why we are in Israel is uh, is uh, by uh, by chance. Basically, the the company was started by uh, uh, Michal, 
Michal Mashiach Golan, and she um, was the one that founded um, a service company at the beginning in 2017, and because she saw the need for uh, um, uh, for many uh, pharma companies in Israel, actually in the science park in Rehovot, for uh, um, the have the option to outsource uh, sometimes part of their project, but also, especially, uh, she saw the need for uh, health healthcare Israeli providers to have a partner in the in, in, in a scientific way in the genetics uh, uh, bioinformatics field and, uh, because without that they, they, they couldn't exercise uh, one of their uh, uh, their products uh, if they wanted to develop something genetics for example so actually there was a lot of enough work uh, for all that for that field in Israel but uh, we also uh, have some um, some contacts with the companies outside of Israel including America through the states yeah, it's interesting. As we talk about the challenges around data sharing, there's a lot of times challenges that are associated to, you know, political or geographic reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, the compliance rules. And a lot of times it's just, <laughs> you can only do so much with the staff you have. And that's absolutely makes sense, too. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about data sharing. So you're, you're sharing data between researchers, healthcare providers, um, what kind of challenges are you bumping into right now in that space? Right, that's a very good question. Data sharing and collaboration are definitely of great importance to us in, in, in genomics because we have witnessed firsthand uh, how the lack of data sharing uh, policies and technologies, especially, uh, they can basically prevent good research. So let me explain what I mean. Good research often relies on on what we call meta-analysis, which is a type of analysis that spans across disparate data sources and data types. However, we found and we see quite often that researchers are limited uh, only to a fraction of the available data uh, due to the accessibility issues and the lack of sharing policies that we can talk about later. Uh, and this can have negative consequences, obviously, uh, on reliability, on quality of research, but also delaying uh, clinical uh, uh, impact on the on the research. Um, so I can I can talk a little bit more. I mean, we can we can take an example if you want, Molly, and talk about. Yeah, it. I think that would be great. Yeah, I think that this is an area that is so important for this industry to address. I've been talking to some of your colleagues in other genomics institutes and. It seems like tackling data sharing is something that will help, you know, with patient care and, you know, time to development of new drugs and things like that. So I'd love to go into exactly. an example. Yeah, new drugs is a very good example. Let's let's take a moment to imagine that we are a pharmaceutical company developing developing a promising uh, new drug, let's say, to treat specific subtype of cancer, and we're conducting this clinical trial. This is. Just an example that actually is, is very real. Uh, that needs in this uh, trial, this company, we need to find the best possible patients to participate in the trial. Uh, but there's a catch uh, in our example. Uh, we know that there's a data set of, let's say, uh, uh, DNA of 80 uh, cancer patients that would be incredibly helpful uh, to us to identify the right candidates for the trial. There's only one problem, okay? The data is likely held by uh, some university or hospital 
and accessing uh, it, it would, it's much, much easier said than done. And why is it like that? I'll talk about it a little bit later. But the potential, the potential consequences of not being able to access crucial data for our trial and drug development can be severe with delayed therapy development for patients being just one of many negative outcomes. I do find even before we talk a little bit more about why it's complicated to get access to the data, is it a challenge to know which data exists to start with? You know, from the technology side, we think about metadata about the data, but maybe even broader, do you generally know which experiments have been run and who owns that data? Or is even knowing that sometimes a challenge? Uh, it's a very good point. The The lack of data sharing, um, the lack of data sharing problem also uh, affects the knowledge of where the data is. Uh, so we, sometimes we know there is a good data set somewhere, but but I would say often we are not even aware. We are not even aware that somewhere, quite for sure, there's a very crucial data set that would um, solve a research issue or would take um, a clinical trial for patients that are waiting for that uh, just on the success path instead of maybe not. Uh, so yes, it's true. Molly also also uh, sometimes we don't know where is uh, the data, but it goes um, yeah it goes it goes beyond clinical uh, only. It goes beyond clinical. Uh, you can go up upstream to the research and, and take cancer for example. Uh, we know cancer is a devastating disease and it requires deep understanding of the biology of each type of cancer. But to achieve this, researchers needs to they need to study uh, multiomics uh, uh, aspects of the cancer DNA, RNA, epigenomics, proteomics, etc. And not only they need to study that across multiple scenarios and conditions. And if you think about it, uh, and, and you do the math a little bit, you'll realize very quickly, and everybody in this field knows that no one lab or even one hospital can achieve this alone. So collaboration and data sharing is essential for, to, uh, for every uh, 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 making progress in, in any research, for sure for cancer research. Okay, great. And so <clears throat> when you think about the remote access to data sets, maybe within your organization or sharing it across um, different organizations, what kind of challenges are you running into on the technology to be able to do that kind of remote access to data sets? So... Let's talk about technology. I, I think that the challengers really, uh, as you say, Molly, are, I would, I would like to look at it at, at, in, in two um, main types, technical and then cultural and economical. On the technical challenge, so uh, you were listing before uh, when we met first time, there's remote data accessibility and data sharing problems. There is the challenge of being able to work in the same data on different sites and projects. And then there's biological semantics, which uh, is known to be messy uh, and still today lacks uh, universal uh, standardization. However, my, uh, 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 my feeling is that uh, progress has been made for that. And the, and the technical challenges are basically solved in theory today. They're solved. However, the solutions, for example, even solutions like uh, Hammerspace may offer today, 
are by far not yet, not enough adopted and implemented uh, in the scientific and biomedical uh, world. And I think the reason is, is cultural and economic. I've been <clears throat> speaking with um, some folks. There's a conference next week, BioIT World, out on the East Coast of the U.S. that's going on and, of course, getting ready for that and presentations there. One of the folks I was talking to that we're on a panel with was saying that now that the platform and the technology exists, that kind of has taken away the excuse for us not to sort out these other problems that, you know, we, for a long time, the scientific community had built up a storage system connected to a genomics processor and that's where, or a genomic sequencer. And that's where all the scientific work was done somewhere else, maybe was a high frequency microscope and it was all kind of siloed. Now we've solved that problem, the multi-omics and being able to share data. And so now we have to kind of challenge our industry to sorting through the other pieces, the standards, the kind of cultural pieces of my data versus our data. How do you think we approach that? How do we influence the industry? Is it technology folks? I mean, you're a technologist also, as well as, you know, in the industry. Where do you think that needs to come from? Well, it needs to come from... uh from all of us together. Um, I think we talked about uh, the issue of, uh, of data, data privacy laws uh, uh, is, uh, is something that, that needs, to be, needs, to, needs to be talked about. Uh, you know, uh, data privacy is very important. Data privacy uh, uh, policies are important. The, mo- the moment we, we do experiments on, on mice, but nothing replaces real world data that uh, is obtained by, uh, by uh, actual patients. And if you have good enough real-world data uh, in quantity and quality, this can generate real-world evidence, and then it can, it can really uh, uh, facilitate research and everything. So therefore, the, the, the issue of data privacy, once we talk about humans, is definitely something we need to put in the equation. The problem is this, that there is there's a misuse of data privacy. Uh, sometimes, and uh, we see it that unfortunately uh, we see all uh, very often what seems to be uh, uh, an opportunistic usage of these laws to prevent data uh, sharing. Either in academy, maybe uh, you'll see it when uh, with the culture of publish or perish. Okay, you want to hold your data until you uh, get uh, the chance to obviously uh, um, uh, publish the best paper you can, and then even then. I'm not sure you're going to release the data, uh, but, uh, but, but that's one. And then we have also the profit, profit for selling uh, use of data. Uh, I can't blame anyone to, uh, uh, you know, if he wants to regain the, the money that he invested in generating the data. However, that also is something that very often prevents, um, I would say, data sharing for good research. Do you feel like the advent of AI is going to force some changes here? Um, you know, will AI be used again kind of with internally for the reasons that a lot of the data sets have been not shared? Or do you think AI is going to force more sharing because it's harder to hold on to your, your information assets? So that's a question. I, I do think that AI uh, uh, is an amazing opportunity that can bring really a real change for the scientific data sharing uh, scenario. Uh, it can do it, um, but 
um, um, we still need to uh, um, to solve cultural and especially economical issues. Because if you think about it, so on one hand, we just said it before. If we're not going to share data, research will always be sub-idea. Uh, we're never going to proceed, I think, in, in, in the ideal pace. On the other hand, generating data is very expensive. So how do we share but still maintain a fair uh, uh, economy for all the cycle of information? It's really a balance. There have been some some few ideas that were proposed in the last years, for example, remote uh, uh, genomic databases that can reply to specific questions so that you don't, you're not, this solves two issues. You're not releasing all your data, you generate it, but you're not releasing all, all the data. You cannot identify the person because you're not giving the whole DNA, but you just reply for specific questions. For example, uh, do you, uh, are these certain, are there certain mutations to breast cancer patients that are from age 20, uh, that are, uh, let's say, age 20, and they have a specific uh, um, outcome. And, and, you can, and you can say yes or not, and, and this, is, uh, this is the time. But AI will change completely the picture. And uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, we can definitely talk about a AI on that. I, I think, you know, if, if you look at, I, I, I'm a f I, disclaimer, I'm a fan of Google. I like Google very much. I really hope for Google to wake up and react uh, to all this, these changes in, uh, in AI. But right now, uh, if you look at the results page of Google, right, uh, compared to ChatGPT, it almost describes exactly the old world of information. It's based on separate silos of data, websites, Versus the new world of information that uh, that looks like everything is seems to be com not only shared but deeply integrated, normalized, mm -hmm. and unified, and that's ChatGPT. So at least on the individual company level, integration and complete data connectivity now is key to enable AI processing and existing and of the existing data that they have and and, and uh, produce new insights. So that's for sure. The question is, how do we interconnect between different AI islands uh, of scientific knowledge? Uh, how, do we, how do you do that? And maybe that's a question that I exactly like ask <laughs> yeah, uh, companies like Hammerspace. It is interesting. Um, and, you know, I think that the projects and where AI will be applied is going to be very industry specific in some ways, but in other ways it may not be. I, I was at the um, making an appointment with my healthcare provider the other day, and I actually had the option on ask a nurse. Do I want to talk to the AI ask a nurse or to a human? And then, you know, they're kind of trialing it to see what kind of results you get. And the AI gave fantastic ideas about, you know, is this allergies or is it actually a cold that I have? Um, <clears throat> you know, and of course, there's backstops by humans that you still want to check in. But that, that makes a lot of sense. And on the Hammerspace side, we are actually deeply entrenched with um, some of the largest hyperscale level AI projects for exactly what you're talking about, that connecting the data to the AI engines that may be scattered in many places is really what Hammerspace is built to do. But <clears throat> you also have to have the AI engines looking at the data and integrated with the applications that are using it. So, you know, in the life sciences space, <clears throat> we could provide the data. I think Google or other companies can provide the AI engines. 
But if it's not tied to the industry applications and what researchers are used to using in their space, um, I still think it's difficult. Do you force the researchers to an entire new workflow? Or do you try to provide those results into that, the tools that they're used to looking at, the analytical tools? And I don't know where that's going to land. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's a challenge back to the industry that the technology exists. We have the data sharing platforms. We have the AI technologies. And when we were prepping for this podcast, you said there's kind of no excuse not to solve it now. Um, it's just who should drive the charge? And, you know, is there companies like Illumina or someone else that is the final leg to this that has a lot of influence in industry that needs to really lean in to help bring it all together? Yes. I, I, sus- I suspect that uh, uh, the medical world, the clinical and medical world, um, they have the, 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 the biggest weight on that. They uh, uh, and it's medical world and also pharma. The pharma and medical industry needs to democratize data, needs to conceive a new way of monetizing uh, their data. Because I understand if you know if Kaiser Permanente doesn't want to give their data uh, for free, for sure they shouldn't. Uh, but right now, um, I, I want to emphasize something. I mean the the the. the the fact that when, when, when a cancer patient provides it provides a biopsy, uh, for example, and, and, and genetic data, uh, so these data are stored in Kaiser Permanente or in uh, uh, Foundation Medicine or whatever, uh, uh, Caris or any other company, uh, but it's actually the patient's best interest that for that data to be completely shared as widely as possible, because by making this data available to doctors and scientists and scientists all over the world, we actually increase the, the chances of finding a cure for these uh, patients or a treatment and, and understanding what it is. And every day that his, the mutations that were taken from his cancer, his or her cancer, are stored and not shared and are, are basically financial assets, uh, he suffers. He or she suffers, and it, 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 that's, not, that's not good, not for health and not for science. One other topic I'd like to talk about for a moment, Rami, is this idea of multiomics. And I think it's new um, to a lot of folks that some of the terms we've been talking about in computational biology and genetics are fairly well known. Would you mind talking a little bit about what that is and maybe sure. how data sharing um, comes into play when you're talking about multiomics? Right. So multi-omics is, uh, first of all, what's omics? Omics is, is basically a, a short for any of these um, um, big data uh, uh, type of uh, fields in biology and bioinformatics that spans across the entire either genome or proteome. And uh, new technologies in the last 15, 10, 15, 20 years um, basically allowed a breakthrough in generating these data. So instead of, instead of researching one or two genes, suddenly, let's say from 2008, um, technology advancement in technology allowed you to sequence the entire genome of a, of a cell or, of a, of, or a, a group of cells. So this is genome. So, so not only that, uh, uh, we also can uh, sequence the level of RNA, the, the expressions of the genes. 
and we can do it across the whole the entire uh, um, um, genomics or uh, transcriptomics, if we talk about RNA. So as as we as biology uh, starts to um, look at these vast amount of data across the whole cell, and uh, it starts to add layers of types of data. Uh, that's what we call it multiomics. So if I uh, um, sequence uh, the entire genome, but I also sequence at the same time in that experiment also which genes are expressed and how, and maybe I also um, do an analysis of all the epigenomics of the cells, uh, meaning how the DNA is, let's call it the charged, its charging status, uh, then if you accumulate everything together, it's not easy, but you can, you're supposed to do, to do better science. Uh, and this is, um, it's new. I think it's very, I, I, I think that the technology itself, the biotechnology itself is much more, gives much more th- than what science, biology can actually ingest right now. It's going to take more and more years until we actually be, until we are able to to make good science, and, and, and every every few years there's, there's a new technology. So this is the multiomics, and um, it, it, and advancements in algorithms are uh, it's very necessary. It, at, at the academy, it's still the, the what uh, number one uh, um, producers of new algorithms for that, uh, but AI also has uh, has uh, something to do with that. Uh, this is the th- these are the tools. That can that can start uh, carving out uh, understanding or this knowledge from from these multi layers of uh, of big data uh, in uh, biological experiments. This is the this is the multiomics. Innovation in this space never slows down. That's for sure. <laughs> There's always something new. It seems, <clears throat> and it's amazing. It's helping quality of life and longevity and all kinds of wonderful things. Um, as we wrap up, what do you see as the next steps at Applied Genomics? Where are you guys taking your company in the next few years? And maybe where can we point our show listeners to learn a little bit more about you? Sure. So so we, Applied Genomics, uh, would like to uh, um, advance on, on, on three, di- three pathways. Uh, first of all, uh, the pathway of services. We truly believe that um, having a good partner in for collaboration and, and outsourcing of bioinformatics is today uh, could be a very good solution for even big companies that would like to uh, take a segment of their projects or even entire projects and 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 and, and let uh, outsourced expert uh, uh, do it for them and and we saw the, the success of that so we want to develop it. Even more, we want to have more solutions of of, uh, of outsource, uh, uh, collaborative outsource bioinformatics. That's one part. The second one is product development. We uh, are currently um, looking at the possibilities of um, expanding the genomics test uh, in Israel. Uh, technology. We Israel doesn't do um, genomic testing for um, for everyone. Obviously, not only Israel. I think most of the countries still are not doing it. Uh, maybe uh, America, maybe the states, and, and in England started doing big projects. Like England started doing the one hundred thousand 
uh, a genome project. So as we think that in the next years, more and more uh, um, um, hospitals in Israel would like to uh, think about the, the, what are the solutions uh, for um, uh, uh, offering uh, genome sequencing to anyone, any, maybe every newborn. That's not easy because it's still not cheap. Uh, there's a lot of um, uh, technological advancement that needs to be done before it can be offered. So we definitely are looking at that space, and we have a lot of partners uh, in Israel to, uh, that uh, we can work with. And the third one is, is uh, research and development. We, uh, we like to uh, um, gain uh, pay-for-access uh, to uh, very good data, very, uh, uh, very interesting silos of data, and uh, that we... Uh, um, data mine and, and, and analyze, and obviously now we uh, we will try maybe apply AI and ChatGPT on on one of these uh, big biological databases, multi omics and multi clinical metadata. Also, uh, these are these are basically the activities that we'll uh, we'll try to uh, we are actually advancing. Excellent. Well, Rami, thank you for joining the show. Um, you have incredible experience, both on the technology as well as the science side. Um, guests like you are amazing to have on the show. Um, we really appreciate your time and um, look forward to publishing this episode. Thank you very much, Molly. Thanks for listening to Data Unchained, powered by Hammerspace. To learn more, visit hammerspace.com. If you have a guest you would like to hear on the show, email me at molly at hammerspace.com. Mm-hmm.